Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. Hey, welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we empower you, the filmmaking entrepreneur. And a great way to get started is to get the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion while doing it. It's available in paperback, Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. That's survivetheimplosion.com. All right, in this episode, the indie film coach and the creator of the VIP Film Summit, Ron Newcomb, he interviews a CGI artist and filmmaker, Miguel Ortega, about his film, The Neo, spelled N-I-N-G-Y-O. Anyway, this whole episode is about what happens when a CGI artist and his wife double down on a Kickstarter campaign to create their very heavy CGI short film called The Neo. Well, the hint, it seems like they're living their dream. They created a CGI series set in 1909 about cryptozoology, about the search for mythological and unproven creatures. Without further ado, here's Ron Newcomb with Miguel Ortega here on the Film Trooper Podcast. All right. Hey, guys. Ron Newcomb here, the indie film coach on the Film Trooper Podcast. And I have a Really super cool guest that I'm excited to finally get to interview. I've been following uh, a project of his for quite some time, and uh, we're going to just dive into a little bit about how he was able to to make it happen. But on the podcast today, I have Miguel Ortega, and we're going to be talking about particularly around his project, The Nino. So, Miguel, for people that really don't uh, don't know you yet. Why don't you give them a little background about how you got started in your filmmaking journey? Cool. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I guess I started pretty early on. Like I think when I was around 13, I knew I wanted to do, to do this stuff pretty much as early as I could remember. Actually, I just, I saw star Wars and I was like, okay, I want to do this. And, um, I thought that I wanted to get in particular to special effects because I thought, you know, I wanted to make the monsters in the movies. I wanted to make the Rancor and the Sarlacc pit and all that stuff. Yeah, man. Uh, but I really, once I got into the industry, I, I realized really quickly, almost instantly, that, you know what, I want to be the guy that r- makes the, the story in the world, not just the, the four hired gun. Hmm. So um, about six years into my work in visual effects, when the, like around the time when the red one was announced, which has already been a while, I, I was like, you know what? That camera super expensive. If I buy that thing, I'm not going to fuck around with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll be like, once you own that thing, it's like, holy crap, you better get something done with it. So I bought that camera and I was like, I got to figure out how to do all this stuff. And we did this short film, my, my partner and I, the short film called the green Ruby pumpkin. And, we learned all our stuff doing that project. And then we're like, you know what, when we feel like we're ready, let's just leave our job in visual effects. Once we have enough money saved up, once we own all the equipment, so we were like, we can't quit until we own all the cameras, all the lenses, all the lights. Uh, once we own everything, let's quit and let's try to do something. Let's try to turn this into a full-time thing. And that's, that's basically what happened. Wow. So before that, now, are, did you go to film school or are you kind of self-taught? Well, I went to school for visual effects okay. and uh, I went to a school called Noman 
in Hollywood. Uh, so I actually moved to California to go to that school in particular. Okay. So it's the, it's the best school for visual effects in the United States, if not the world for sure. Wow. They win like every year they win like the best visual effects school. I mean, I think it's like six years in a row. I, I don't know, but every year. Uh, so I, I wanted to go to that school and yeah, I got accepted and that was the beginning of it. Yeah. So is that where you met your business partner? Um, and did you guys end up forming a company out of that? Um, yeah, well, we met way later. Um, I mean, she's more than just my business partner. (laughs) She's my partner, partner. Ah, gotcha. We met at, uh, at, uh, at Noman. Okay. Gotcha. So she, she too was going to school for, um, visual effects, filmmaking, uh, and you guys start this journey together and do, um, did I get the short rate green pumpkin? The green ruby pumpkin. Yeah. The, the green ruby pumpkin. Now is that still out there? Can people still check that out? Yeah, totally. It's on, it's on Vimeo. Um, it's a, the, the goal of that, that short in particular was I thought that the, 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 the most direct path would be from visual effects was to jump into commercial directing. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, I wanted to, to, to get signed in particular to an, an agency called spy spy in Canada. And they were doing all the really cool short, uh, short films or, uh, commercials that were very visual centric. And we were like, let's try to do this short to try to get representation at a place like spy spy films. And that was the goal. We finished it. And that's exactly where we signed right after finishing that. Wow, man, that is, uh, that is rare way to, way to go, man. Way to punch for the stars and then nail it. Um, so so did you guys self fund that? And you, so you had a premonition of like, all right, here's our goal. Here's the end game spy films. We want to get represented there. We're going to do this short to kind of showcase all of our, the whole package, not just visual effects, but world creation, story development. Um, and how did you guys fund that project and how long did it take? Well, that one was funded while we were working in visual effects. So we were making, we were making really good money at the time. So it wasn't a big deal. It still took us forever to do it. It was, I think it's two minutes and 40 seconds. And it took us a ridiculous amount of time. But part of the reason why it took us so much time is because we had to learn the entire process. Mm-hmm. And since we were trying to get the attention of producers and studios, again, mostly for commercials, uh, we wanted to say we did everything. So we wanted like every costume, it was like we, you know, that was a custom made costume. Nothing was bought. I think in that short, not a single thing was bought. Even the shoes were custom made. Wow. So everything, everything was custom made. We, we literally did everything. I think the only thing that was bought at a store was a basket. Wow. So, and we shot it in our living room. Um, yeah, it was. And so it took us a long time because we were like, you know what we were in visual effects. Our focus was always modeling. So like sculpting did essentially. But once we jumped over to do our own films, we had to learn the entire visual effects pipeline, which we didn't know in visual effects. You really work as a, as a gear in a bigger machine. Mm-hmm. We had to learn how to do everything, which took us a while. We, we had never even done you know, compositing or, or lighting. We didn't know anything about cameras at the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't know anything. Honestly, we really didn't know a, a thing. And we were like, okay, let's just jump in the fire. 
we bought this expensive camera, so there's no going back and let's just get <laughs> right. this done. So we were coming home from work, let's say around 8 p.m., and we would work until like 4 o'clock in the morning every day for I think it was like two and a half years that we worked on this. Oh, wow, man. Two and a half years. People need to hear that, you know, for a two and a half minute short, basically. So many people think that it's, you know, presto, you know, instant success overnight. And it never is. Like for features, never. the average is for an indie that I've talked to, it's five to seven years. People, you know, it's never like from the moment, like I think I'm going to do a film to you seeing it, being product. It's never, you know, short. Studios are able to do it somewhat. It can kind of predict because they just throw money at it. But when you're an indie, you know, you just don't have uh, the luxury to do that all the time. So you and your partner, do you, do you both do a little bit of everything and, and kind of a jack of all trades now? Or do you, you guys have broken down into, okay, I'm going to direct right or how do how does y'all's team environment work uh well we when we come up with the story usually i'll come up with a seed of the story and Mm -hmm. then we work from that point together and we create the whole prod the whole story um in terms of the visual effects side we definitely can both do the same tasks so she was a a sculptor as well Mm -hmm. but now we kind of can each do each other's job if we had to. So even storyboarding, when you look at our storyboards, which are really pretty detailed storyboards, one board will be mine, one will be hers, one will be mine, one will be hers. And you can't even tell which one, who drew what. Right. It's the same style. Right. Uh, I usually, at, from once we start getting into production, she pretty much becomes like a first AD producer role. Mm-hmm. She signs the costumes she um and then i usually deal with the actors and more of the the camera technical side with my cinematographer but um but yeah we could she can do anything i can do and, and vice versa yeah wow that is that is awesome um so do you guys work in a you know mostly with just you two or do you it sounds like you do bring on a cinematographer do you bring other team elements in as needed or do you have have you now worked so much with other people that you all have now have a team um that you kind of have in place and ready to go for for projects our team is most of the time from the green room pumpkin and the nino it's always me uh well tran myself and our, the cinematographer that we use is a guy called michael Eppel. Uh, who lives up in San Francisco. Sometimes he can't make it down to LA, so I'll handle the shoot. But whenever we have something difficult, we try to bring him in. So he's Mm -hmm. great. He knows what we like. But that's it. We never have a focus puller. Mm -hmm. We never have... uh, Our crew is as bare bones as can be. Um, So that's pretty much the crew. And we have our sound guy who... um, John Bennett, who we use, and that's it. Everything else, and our composer, we've used all along, who I've known since I was like fifteen or something. So, yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. So it sounds like you've been in LA now for a good little bit. Yeah, like twelve years. Okay, where are you originally from? Uh, I was raised in Miami, mm-hmm. but I'm from Colombia. Okay, so um, so diving back into thinking down visual effects because that's we're in a series right now, and I'm trying to kind of crack the code of. Uh, visual effects and kind of the whole gambit. And so I've worked, I, or I just uh, did an interview with some guys that work on a lot of miniatures and about 90% practicals. They try to do everything they can in the lens. 
Um, give me your thought. I mean, of course, we all love to play with practicals, but give me your thoughts having now studied um, a lot of CGI elements. What are your thoughts between practicals and CGI? Where do you kind of fall between the two? I think if, if you're building sets, as, as if you can build as much real stuff as possible, like whatever people are interacting with in particular, mm-hmm. I think that's always the way to go. And even though the Nino has a ton of uh, visual effects, a lot of the stuff where the actors are actually touching or interacting with, we actually did build. Uh, but that's it. I mean, I think that there is, uh, you know, there's still guys online that say, oh, CG sucks. And, you know, you could say that 10 years ago, but at this point, anybody that says CG is crappy, you're just living in a delusional bubble. You know, you're, it's, it's just yeah. silly at this point. Like it's, it's, it's not even an argument. They're, they're both different things. They're both beautiful. Uh, but that's really where, where, it, where it comes down to like, you know, you look at something like life of Pi or planet of the apes, you know, how else would you do that? That's, right. you know, right. there's no other way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that, like Tarantino talks about how, uh, you know, the moment film goes away is the moment he goes away. But, in, you know, the truth you're, you're taking and, and the one sense I get it from like an artistic point of view and Tarantino, regardless of what you think of the person, he's a master to- storyteller. And yet you have, you know, you're putting something out on 35 and then dumping it, integrating it into a um, onto the computer, into a data element and then, you know, potentially outsourcing it back onto something so that you can edit it certainly within a digital platform. Uh, it's almost a little funny to kind of hear that because it, it, to your point about CGI, it's kind of the same way with now digital filmmaking. It's so blurred now between the two that it, you can really get in uh, a one for one cinematic look. It seems to me, um, and it, obviously a lot, a lot cheaper in its own right doing, doing digital. Uh, when, when you're thinking through visual effects for people that are out there, they're indie filmmakers, they want to do a epic story. And in that story, they're not beholden to certain parameters. So suddenly they find their world that where CGI could really lend a hand to how many jobs, roles or tasks are kind of within visual effects. We don't need to go necessarily down Pandora's box so much, but it's kind of like I akin it to when people say, Oh, Ron, you're a filmmaker. And they can just assume that, you know, I, I write it, I shoot it, I edit it, I do the music, I do the color, you know, the whole, the whole range. And when you start to educate people on that, they go, oh, wow, I didn't realize there's that many, that many roles within it. Can you educate people a little bit on the visual effects environment? Well, there's, yeah, there's a ton of, there's a ton of, of, of roles. So from the beginning, you would have somebody that would bring in the, the data and then they would uh, undistort the plate. And they would have to match move it if there's any kind of, of camera movement. So that means you have to recreate a digital camera that mimics the movement that was shot on the on the day of the shoot. Or else it would look like whatever you're placing on top would be floating hmm. uh, on top of the plate. That job is an extremely difficult job. It's extremely tedious. And it's a thankless job. You know, how would you describe that to your mom? There's no way, you know. Uh, <laughs> Then right. you have, from that point on, you have, you have the 3D department that is modeling all the assets. That, again, is a whole other department and people that have focused on doing anatomy and doing um, 
architectural stuff and that's one job in itself. Then those guys have to now, someone has to come in and texture that, give it color, paint the rust, all that stuff. That again, it's an, another job that sometimes ties into what's uh, called uh, look development, which are the guys that make that object look like it has a cer- certain surface property. So not the color of it, but the surface properties, how the light mm. rolls off the, the object or whatnot. That's look development. Again, in texturing, very you know, isolated uh, task. Now you have someone that's going to light that, which would be like our digital cinematographer. That, and then you have a compositor, the person that grabs all those elements and puts them together. Those are two completely different tasks. And that's it. That's just in visual effects. So we probably went through like six or seven jobs. And each one of those, like I said, is a, it's a full career path. You can do one of those things and never do another one, another task in 20 years of working in Mm. visual effects. Like that is your task. Like a cinematographer is a cinematographer and uh, you know, a sound guy is a sound guy. There is no overlap really. It's the same in visual effects. And that's why it's difficult to, jump around between them is because it's such a different state of mind. Yeah, no, I can only imagine that. And I'm sure going into school and kind of seeing those different things, like anything, you probably got a macro level, a broad brushstroke of things, and then you can start to personally deep dive into areas that that you like. When you're when you're working on a, a heavy VFX um, film, what is kind of a, a workflow that one could expect or maybe some pitfalls that you guys have found that they should potentially look out for? I think when, even when we did the Nino, sometimes we would be like, and I, I hate to say this because we, we used to always make fun of, of this when we were working in visual effects professionally, when you go, oh, I'll fix it in post. And it's, it makes it makes sense because um, you've shot a bunch of stuff. When you're actually on set, you have the location for six hours. Each setup is taking an hour to do or whatever. You're just running through this stuff, and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we just got to get this done. We'll just fix it in post. But sometimes, you know, little decisions can really screw you over. Like I think if you're doing stuff that's indie, Try to lock down your camera as much as possible. Don't move the camera around as much. It's a, it's a very simple thing. And if you think, oh, it's not dynamic, just look at a, Finch, a David Fincher film. He doesn't move his camera that much. And if it's good enough for him, trust me, it's good enough for us. Right. So just lock your camera down and put the movement where you really need it so that you have to take those extra steps on the visual effects side to do the match moving or to whatever else because it's beyond just match moving it's the fact that you now have to render 200 frames instead of one frame for the background that stays static because the background is static hmm. rendering could take some of our frames on the ninja would take 24 to 40 hours a frame to render. and that doesn't mean that it's perfect when you're done so you could render for 40 hours a frame you have 24 frames a second and then you see the sequence play out and there's flickering happening because one of your settings was too low and you can't notice that until you're almost done with the with the entire sequence. So you could have just spent a week or two weeks if you have only a single computer to render that to, to realize that it's wrong. Wow. If, you had, if you had a locked off camera, you would just render that one frame and 
that's it. There wouldn't be any flicker because there's no ju- there's no yeah there's there's just one frame yeah 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 you're you're locking it in. Um, is that also why you guys? It sounds like you guys storyboard. Do you storyboard everything out first? We storyboard everything, and we we're actually extremely anal about our storyboarding. So the way we approach it is we. I have five. I think I have like five lenses. So I know I have a, I just got a, a zoom recently, but let's not include that. But I know I have a 28 prime, a 35 prime, a 50, an 80. And I think I have one of oh, the other one is the, the zoom. So I'll bring in my brother or anybody. Uh, and I throw a, a kind of crappy version of the costume on them and I will photograph them and get every single angle of it that I want in my final shot with the lenses that I own. Hmm. Once I have that, I'll trace on top of that photograph and then I'll put in, I'll draw the background and I'll make it look nice. So I'll, I'll give you some images so you could, you could show people if they want, but it'll look like a really beautiful storyboard. But that storyboard now isn't a stylized drawing. It's a cop. It's a draw. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's me basically tracing on top of a 28 millimeter drawing. So I now know I need the set to be this wide in order to get that ang- that shot that I, you know, did with my brother in the living room or whatever. <laughs> right. So right. the storyboards are not like, there's no, there, nothing is going to look different when we finally shoot it. That 28 millimeter lens can capture that hand that way. There's no like going to set and being like, Oh, that stylized Disney looking drawing. I can't match that angle mm-hmm. because you kind of stylize the perspectives or whatever. No, that that's it. You know, yeah. you're going to get that shot with that 50 miller, 50 millimeter, 28 millimeter lens. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's brilliant. So let's, um, let's start to dive a little bit into, uh, the Nino. And then I, of course I want to kind of kick back and talk about crowdfunding, but the Nino, um, first let's talk about, as we're as you're describing that, of course, I, I backed you guys on on Kickstarter, and so I've, I've got to see some behind the scenes stuff, and even seen uh, a first element of of the project. Describe to people what what you all did, basically in your house for these sets, and what a unique thing that you guys kind of undertook here, because it reminded me as you were describing, you know, just that quick shot that you did with your brother and then, and then did these storyboards moving that into the real practical element within, with, in your house there. So do you want me to just talk about like what, what we did in general, like the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just how you, you know, it was almost like a, a virtual studio, if you will, kind of a set within, within your home and, and what that, you know, kind of okay. look like and how did that come up? And then how did you even execute on that? Well, I'll, I'll take a step back and I'll tell you like kind of why we even decided to do the Nino in particular. So sure. when we finished, when we finished the green Ruby pumpkin and we got the, the thing at spy, one of the things we weren't expecting is that we started getting the attention of, of studios and producers that were like, Hey, we want to talk to you about directing a, a film. Wow. We're totally not expecting this at all. Right. We were like, whoa, what the hell? And, you know, we were meeting with Fox, with Universal, with all of these gigantic companies off of a short that really feels like a chocolate commercial, which is what it was supposed to be. Hmm. Um, 
the problem that I saw is we started getting a lot of scripts that were really crappy. They were really kid kitty scripts. And I love animation. I love kid films. I love all the emblem films, but they were the bad version of all the movies that we, that we like. So we decided to do the Nino in particular to cover a lot of the things that the green Ruby pumpkin did not have and to not pigeonhole us into the type of kitty stuff that we were getting. So we went through a checklist of the concerns that the producers had when they would talk to us. One of them was like, how do you guys do with, how do you guys deal with dialogue? There's no dialogue in the green Ruby pumpkin. So we wrote that down. How do you guys deal with a longer format thing? Cause this is only two minutes. The Nino is now 26 minutes long. They're like, how do you deal with blah, blah. Basically we wrote down all the lists of all the things that they were saying was a concern to them mm-hmm. for a first time director. And when we did the Nino, we're like, let's go through all the checklists and let's do everything that people tell you not to do as an indie film. Don't do a period film. Don't do something that's multiple languages. So half the Nino is Japanese. Half of it is in English. I don't speak Japanese. That's a whole nightmare. <laughs> so we were like, okay, how do we do? Let's do this. Let's do this period film. We obviously can't afford to shoot anywhere. And we tried to, uh, to get real locations and we just could not afford anything. Like I think the natural history museum was like $12,000 a day. So we're like, okay, there's no way we can do this. So when we moved to LA, we got this giant warehouse loft space I mean, it's not that huge, but it's pretty huge. It's like 28 foot ceilings. It's big enough. So we decided that we're going to build everything that we can physically and then extend it digitally. So we were like, okay, let's go rent a bunch of furniture, a bunch of props. And when we would go to these rental places, and there's a ton of them in LA, you would get a beautiful sofa for 50 bucks a week, which is fine. That's great. But that sofa is valued at $10,000. So you had to put a $10,000 deposit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we couldn't rent anything. So we decided that we had to go on Craigslist and buy each piece individually from random old ladies <laughs> from meth heads. So we would go to some crazy houses and buy stuff. And a lot of the stuff we had to refinish because it was an antique that had been painted blue. So you would have to strip all the paint we would have to restain it and we would have to refinish it basically from scratch. And that's one chair. And then we would have to get the next thing and refinish it, blah, 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 repaint it. Uh, and each one of those things was a search in itself. You know, we would get these giant glass cabinets that look like museum cabinets. We would have to jump in the car, rent a car because it was a big van, go pick this up three hours away, four hours away and drive back and, refinish it so a lot of the reason why the nino took long was because of things like that that in itself is a full-time job yeah right and then we had to figure out we had to build these long high uh hallways we didn't know how to do wood paneling we didn't know how to put wood floors down we didn't know how to do you know um ornate woodwork we had to we had to get you know circular saws and figure out how to do all this stuff that we have zero ambition and getting any better at it than we had to. Uh, we hope we never have to do it again. If you ever put Victorian wallpaper on a wall, it's one of the, the hardest things you'll ever do. And we had to figure out how to do all of this stuff, Tran, 
handled, you know, all the wallpaper stuff, which is an absolute nightmare to do. And some of these sets were that we built were like 16, 17 feet high. Wow. So they were massive sets. But again, because we shot it in our, in our living room, building that one set would take the two of us. And we had a friend come in, helped us build the, the big set because we were afraid that it was going to fall and kill us. So we had to bring in somebody that actually knew what they were doing to show us how to build it properly. Once we fi- we finished building the set, which could take us weeks, we would have to now tear it down and build the next set. So that also took a long time because we couldn't build multiple sets at the same time hmm. because it was our house. Yeah. Yeah. Now are you mentioned full time. Are you guys at this point doing this full time during this, you know, when you guys are building the sets? Yeah. So we left, we, at the time we were working at digital domain and, you know, I finally got the supervisor job. I always wanted, I was running the, the model department. We were making a killing both of us, Tran was doing all the stuff for Ender's Game, and she designed a lot of the, the Transformers and the Moon one. I forget which one that is. And that's that was a very hard thing. We were like, okay, we have this amount of money saved up, but we could never do this if we stay in this job. So we had to leave our job and live off our savings. Wow to do this, and we've we've we haven't had a full time job now in five years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the Nino, the, the story itself. Is this a story that you all came up with or how did you find the story here? Um, well, we had to think about what, what are we good at? So we're good at building monsters, right? So we were like, okay, let's reverse engineer our story. So we're like, okay, we're good at monsters. Let's do something on cryptozoology, something that is a little bit more grounded Cool. Cryptozoology is great. For those that don't know, it's it's basically the search and study of undiscovered or unproven creatures, right? So the the, the cliche ones are like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster. Uh, so we were like, okay, great. Let's try to find uh, a cryptid, which is the word for them, that is less known than Bigfoot and Loch Ness. And we found this Japanese myth called the Nino. And the story is um, a little girl accidentally eats the flesh of the Nino and the storm comes in and destroys Japan, essentially. And the little girl, the father finds her vomiting. She looks like she's dead and the storm is kicking and whatnot. And the next morning, the storm stops and the little girl wakes up as if nothing happened. And... According to the legend, she lives to be 800 years old. And after seeing all of her children live and die of old age and her all her multiple husbands die of old age, she becomes so de- depressed that she returns to the lake where the Nino was caught. She cuts her throat and she dies. And the curse is broken in Japan. The land comes back to life. And that's it. We were like, wow, that is so much cooler than just Bigfoot. Yeah. Bigfoot is just a hairy guy walking in the forest and the Loch Ness monster. It's a cool plesiosaur, but it's, you know, that's all there is to it. So we were like, this is really cool. There's some, there's some elements of like interview with a vampire that I love the little girl that is an old woman. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of Highlander that we loved in this. So we're like, we can't afford to do the destruction of Japan. So let's tell the story about the descendant, the last daughter of this woman who is now trying to prevent this man from finding the Nino. 
Mm-hmm. So we started looking at the history of cryptozoology, and we saw that in the turn of the century, there was uh, what is early versions of, of um, conservation was museums sending hunters to go to Africa and kill elephants and kill rhinos because because they knew they were going to go extinct. So when they, they thought, hey, in 2017, Ron will never be able to show his son or daughter what a rhino looks like. So let's go send someone to kill a rhino and put it in the museum. Hmm. That's conservation. Mm-hmm. So what was amazing is a lot of these guys, the early hunters, including the president of the United States, Roosevelt at the time, and Carl Akeley, realized, hey, this is kind of silly. Why don't we create a national park to protect these animals? So we, so they became the first modern conservationists. And they were the ones that uh, were basically trying to protect animals from people like themselves. So we kind of made our hero character be one of those guys that regretted what he did and now wants to stop this. And But then he becomes obsessed with this creature called the Nino. He finds a map that points to this location, and he thinks that uh, they want to, he wants to try to go and find it, but nobody believes him because it's basically a mermaid, and it's just a ridiculous thing. So it's his quest to go try to find this, and uh, it's, really a, it's really the story of Faust, the way we did it. It's the deal with the devil, yeah. if you really look at our short. And that was really the inspiration is cryptozoology meets Faust. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So then then you and Tran kind of kick it back and forth until you guys finalize the script and got it to a point where you said, okay, this is it. That's exactly it. Yeah. All right. So a lot lot of researching stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that had to be a lot of fun. Like you said, that whole world building, you know, you can totally geek out to it. I'm sure when you guys came across the story, um, you know, it's like that epiphany moment. It's like, uh oh, we got something here. Uh, This is cool. Um, okay, so at some point, you guys, though, you look at crowdfunding as a potential opportunity. And I think crowdfunding, particularly for filmmaking, has there's kind of ebbs and flows. And I don't know that necessarily we're on kind of on an upswing. In fact, I kind of feel like we're on a little bit of a, I don't know about a downswing, but certainly a plateau. I think crowdfunding is great for like board games and, you know, real stuff, but films, it's just become a challenge. Um, yeah. What made you guys choose uh, Kickstarter, the, the the platform, and then thinking through crowdfunding, what did you need to do in order to launch the campaign? Well, Kickstarter, the way we saw it, was the only option we really had. We didn't want to do Indiegogo because if you don't get the money that you need to make the movie, the, the movie you can't make the movie. So why – would you go to Indiegogo where if you'll still get money if you don't hit the goal? Like we, that was the goal we needed, and that's what we needed. Yeah. So we just thought Kickstarter was the way to go. Uh, it was one of the most stressful months of our lives for sure because uh, we thought we were going to fail the whole way through, and um, we, we were convinced we were going to fail. You know, we had we already had plans in place like okay, if this happens, we'll throw it down the last $20,000. We thought of everything, right? And yeah. uh, we thought everything was going to hell. And it's funny because one of the things that we were really adamant about when we were working on this project is never to mention the word steampunk. You never see it in anything we ever talk about. We never use the word steampunk. Um, 
I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of steampunk. Uh, I love the, the, I love the, where it comes from, but I don't like, I don't love what it, what it has become. And, um, we, so we, we tried to avoid it, but the day that the steampunk community picked up on the Nino, that's where we made the money in three days. So, you know, it's pretty funny because they, they completely loved what we were doing and yeah. So, you know, holy crap. Yeah. So no, it, community it, totally saved our ass. Yeah. It's funny how that works too. I've seen a couple campaigns and I've run a couple and they are extremely stressful. How long was your campaign? It was 30 days. Okay. 30 days. And what was the goal and where did you guys kind of end up? We, our goal was 50 and we ended with 82. So yeah, that was great. Yeah, no, that is great. Now what a lot of people have don't remember and kind of fact need to factor in is that Kickstarter and PayPal and stuff, they take a cut and then you have all your rewards you got to do. So that takes a cut. So what was your actual working budget? Let's say after it was all said and done, I think all said and done, we were probably in the seventies. Yeah. Not because of, not because of the reward, because we actually got some money. Noman helped us with money. Uh, the school that I teach at and that I graduated from, they, they threw in money to help us as well. Okay. So that, right. that brought us a little bit more money at the end. So probably like 72. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. No, Which that's is nothing really for a almost 30 minute film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in your mind, you know, a lot of indie filmmakers that I talk to, we talk about gifts and kinds. So, you know, if I hire you, but you, you and I are friends and your rate's 10 grand, but you say, Hey, Ron, I'll do it for five. It's not like you're going to do five grand worth of work. You know, you're still doing the 10 grand work, worth of work. So there's those gifts in kind. What would you say would have been the budget for Nino when kind of all said and done? Oh, it would be, it would be insanely expensive. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like you got, how long has it been? What's been the total process from the moment of like, Hey, we're going to do this. Um, you know, we're going to do something next and it's going to be this. How long has it been from that to where we're at? Uh, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. And in the time, and that's full time, three years. That's not, that's beyond full time, three years. That's us working seven days a week, every single day to what, you know, 15 hours a day on, on the computer doing all the, the visual effects stuff. The shoot was faster, but, but, uh, it was a, a mean three years. Now what has been kind of the, what do you, what do you love about it? Do you love, do you kind of miss being on set and shooting or do you really love the post process and you love the visual effects element of it? Where are you at with kind of, you know, the, the, where you find yourself now and in the process of things? I think my favorite part is probably just coming up with the idea and the writing part. I like everything, but it's extremely stressful because of the conditions that we do them in. So shooting for us when we, because we have no money is horrible. You know, like we're the ones that are driving the crew to the location. We are the ones that are, uh, feeding the people. We're the ones. So it's like Tran and I, are the catering department. We yeah. are the drivers. <laughs> so it's extremely stressful. It's, 
I know the trend despises shooting. She hates it hmm. because because it's extremely stressful for her. She's handling the costumes and making sure everybody's fed so that not everybody gets pissed off. I mean, you know this. Uh, a fed crew is the number one thing on set. If you don't yeah. feed people, everything is going to hell. And that that takes a lot of effort to feed uh, when you have a big, a, a big cast, which we had some days. Yeah. Um, it's just super stressful. Then visual effects is there's days where we would just look at the screen and we're like, Oh my God, we're never going to finish this. This is miserable. You know, like yeah. we, 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 lo- we have no social life. We don't go to clubs. We don't go to bars. We don't go out. We don't do anything. It's like we sit on this thing and we're like, we got to get this done. And it's, I love the final product. I love how everything looks and whatnot, but I don't know if any part I, I love, but it's because of the conditions that we're doing them. And yeah. I think if we were not in this situation. I would love shooting the most. Yeah. And, and you guys, you, you already mentioned that you had bought a red one. And is that what you guys ended up shooting on? No, we updated, uh, to the Epic. Okay. Uh, when they, when they offered the update, uh, deal. So we, yep. we shot it all on the Epic and then we shot it all with still lenses. So it's all with Zeiss camera, like still lenses. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then at the end of it, you guys finally get it in the can. You guys are now through post, correct? Yeah. And what is kind of the, you had mentioned 26 minutes. Is that the total runtime on the project now? 26 minutes. Yeah. It was closer to 30 before and we just kept trimming it down more mm-hmm. and more and more. Yeah, which of course is the is the hard thing, but it's probably the right move. Just you know, tighten, tighten, tighten. Yeah. Um. So what what is next for the Nino specifically? Where what are you guys doing with it? Is it the I see you guys hitting some festivals and obviously doing really well there. What's kind of next for it? So we did the festival circuit for almost a year. Okay. That that was great. There was a. Uh, you know, it was great. And there was also some, some things that were terrible about it. So we would get certain letters from people that were like, this thing is amazing, but we can't put it in the festival because either a, it's too long or B, because it's not the full story. We really, when you look at the Ninja, we shot it like an episode of a, of a show. Uh-huh. It's, it, it says to be continued at the end, at the end, which is the last thing you want to do at a festival. But the way we saw it is we're like, we want this to, we want to make a short for ourselves, but more importantly for, like I was saying earlier, for producers to going through that checklist. And we wanted them to feel like, Oh crap, this feels like an episode of a, of a TV show or whatnot, which is great for, for, for producers and whatnot, but it's not the greatest thing for film festivals. Yeah. So, yeah. They're, they're trying to fill a slot or, you know, and that time allotment, it's not a, you know, not a feature, not, not a little three minute thing. Three minute things are great for festivals. They just plug them in. Um, okay. Yeah. So you guys have, have done the, a little bit of the circuit, um, to the point of to be continued. I, I did the same thing. I did a Kickstarter for a, a fantasy. Um, and we did, you know, the story. We thought we were only going to get 20 minutes, but I ended, up, I ended up getting 60 minutes of it. But I, there's more to the story. You know, I've kind of written out. And so it was kind of the same way. I left it on a cliffhanger uh, with it to be continued in hopes that I'll get to be able to do it again. So um, as much as I'm, you know, crowdfunding is, is one way, I might be gearing that back up in 2018. But but we'll see. So you guys did a 
you said you did it in in Japanese, which which I find interesting too, because I think again, as the world has become more more you know global and we're all connected, a lot of these co productions and even international co productions have become um, more possible. And so I am working on a short project with some people. And we've decided to do it in, in um, it's a it's a historical fiction in a Chinese setting, and so we're going to be doing it in Mandarin. How how did you or were there hurdles or anything to think about when you were dealing in another language? I'm assuming you just kind of had to assume, <laughs> you know, or did you have somebody on set that spoke it and you know was like, no, that's that's right, or you just have to trust the actors to be like, okay, cut. <laughs> Oh no 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 that 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 was that was a pain. So we had to write it in English. Then we hired a translator that would translate the script into uh, Japanese, and then English. Uh, I forget what the word is. Uh, like English, but Japanese. So if you 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 could read it out in English, but it's you're saying it in Japanese. I forget what what that is. But um, he was also on set. And some of our all, all our cast spoke Japanese well, or they were they were from Japan or Japanese background. But a lot of them, like myself, I'm from Colombia, but I don't practice Spanish nearly as much. Yeah. So my Spanish, if you're from Colombia, like if you live there, you'll know that I'm not there all the time. My Spanish is not perfect, right. but we wanted the Japanese to be as good as possible. So we had him on set coaching the the actors and getting everything perfect. Wow. It was a pain in the ass and it became even a bigger pain in the ass when you're in the editing room because now he's not there and I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> I have no idea right. if they screwed up that line or not. Right. Good point. So that's why we needed the you know the English Japanese version of everything. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't I didn't think about that. You're you're cutting something or doing a cutaway and you have no idea when what they're saying in the middle of it. Um, so you guys obviously put together a phenomenal BTS, and I'm sure you did it one to uh, ensure the Kickstarter backers had that. Um, what did that take to get the BTS uh, together? That seemed like a whole nother task element. And was that thought um, from the beginning? And is it just for backers or can people go out there and kind of see the BTS? Well, we're going to release the movie online uh, the 28th. Oh, okay. Awesome. It'll be, it'll be on short of the week. Um, we will release the making of. So I, we always release the making of. So if you look at the the Green Ruby Pumpkin, we released, uh, I think, like a two-minute making of. And we also released a two-hour making of. It's all on Vimeo for free. Wow. We go through everything how we storyboarded it, how we did everything. So we go through everything. We had done that for Noman and they had asked for like a two hour thing or a one hour thing. So we did it for them and then we just released it online for free. Uh, so we're always thinking about that. Cause I always love making of, I, I'm, yeah. I love effects. I love, that's the stuff that I, that I love to see. So we definitely are going to release that as well. And we're still updating it. So even it's probably different from when the last time you saw it. But yeah, so we're, we'll release that for sure. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no, that's kind of been uh, my film school for sure. And I know a lot of people just eat that stuff up. Like, you know, I, I go and search for that stuff, uh, you know, almost even like on a nightly basis. Um, okay, so. By the way, that's also been, we also did that intentionally for when we go to these meetings with the producers 
to show them because I think when we when we uh, finished the Nino and we uh, started going to meetings with studios to show them the Nino, I think a lot of people didn't realize we shot it at home, and they were like, "Cool, we love this short." And then when we would show them, "Hey, we did this in our house." they would kind of freak out and they'd right. be like, what the hell? <laughs> they wouldn't believe it unless we showed the video, you know, when they yeah. see like our crowd is made up of, of hats on a stick, you know, it makes them, it makes them laugh. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. And, and I'm sure laugh in a good way, like, holy moly, what, did, you know, these guys have accomplished. Like I love seeing the kind of the walls within the walls in your hallway. Um, and then, uh, without giving any spoilers away, just the, when the main character is kind of giving a presentation and just what that did. And one of the things you did that was just super fascinating is you have him kind of creeping and looking through a door and it looks, you know, just phenomenal. But when you kind of pull the, the, the cloak back a little bit, the veil back and you see the actor and it's just too like, Card, it looked like cardboard or something. You kind of there when he's just peeking in. It yeah. was just truly amazing um, what you guys uh, did. And it, as a filmmaker, it allows you to imagine the the impossible because you know you guys are have broke through some barriers that I think people have set in their own minds of like, oh, I can't do that because of you know whatever reason. And it, you're, it was really encouraging to see to be like, wow, you know. You can do it. It is, it is kind of possible. So I, I feel like I'm hitting you at a, at entry time where this is kind of coming to a close. Um, what's kind of next for you guys? Where are you guys looking at? Is, uh, are we going to potentially see a, a feature or do you guys be getting pulled in on stuff? I'm sure there's been some, some good talk. Anything to, to discuss about that now? Yeah, totally. So, uh, so when we finished the, the short, we, uh, we got signed by CAA, oh, which wow. was a huge nice. thing for us. Yeah, that's like, huge. Nice. The, the biggest agency. You know, we're the pond scum of that place. Like when we look <laughs> at the list of the of the people they represent, it's like Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, and then we're like the tadpoles. Like, hey, please. <laughs> but they, you know, they reached out to us and they were very enthusiastic about representing us, which blew our mind. But we were ecstatic about that. Sure. And then we were all of a sudden we're in a room with, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer and Universal. Like we're sitting across from these legends and, uh, we, um, the, the Nino got option. So we're, we're going to be announcing it soon, but it is being turned into a feature film. Fantastic. By, uh, by one of, you know, the, the, the producer that showed the most enthusiasm for the project and it's really awesome production company. So, and it's yes. not like indie company at all. It's a, it's a serious film. Yeah. Nice, man. That is fantastic. Um, you know, I just, the short itself, what you guys have put together, uh, it's just, you know, cinematically gorgeous. Uh, but one of the things I just wanted to, to mention is the creatures. I've tried to wrap my head around how you guys were able to do it and make them. I mean, they just look so lifelike. I can't, figure out, you know, like where does it end? And to your point early on, when you said that, uh, the barriers have just become kind of just that shade of gray of the difference between CGI and practical at times. Um, these, these creatures, you just have made them so lifelike. Did you have to, was that just predicated on experience or was there a lot of 
kind of work up to make sure you get those right. Because a lot of them, as you mentioned, they're not real creatures to kind of look at and, and mimic. You kind of had to just pull from within and, and kind of mock up these things. Yeah, they, they were a pain in the ass. So there, <laughs> that's one, one thing that if, if I could go back, one of the things that I feel was a, a bad decision is that we used a lot of creatures for like one shot. Hmm. Right. And the reason why I say that is let's say there's a little furry guy that's on the trailer that's on the cage and he turns around and he looks at the camera. Yeah. Right. That, that just to do the creature, but before you even put him in a shot takes about two to three months to do one creature. So that's three months to do one shot, right? To do one single shot. Uh, so we probably have, I think like 10 creatures. So not all of them took as long, but some of them took, you know, three, four months to do. Again, there's two of us and we, we had help on. So the one thing that we don't do, we don't do two things in, in visual effects. And there are two tasks that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, and they're super important is the rigging, which is basically the guy that does the skeleton mm-hmm. on a creature that allows the animator to, to animate. If you think of it in stop motion, it's the guy that builds the armature, basically. Okay. But it's in ours, it's a digital armature. And then the animation part. So the guy that's bringing the movement to it. And for that, we had uh, two buddies of ours, Elon and uh, Chris Boschatnik, who helped us with, with that stuff. And they did an awesome job. So we would give them the model. Chris gave us some models. He built, like, the centipede creature and uh but yeah it was it took forever it took a very very long time characters are the hardest thing to do each character has i think like 300 or 400 face shapes and what i mean by face shapes i mean there's 500 or 300 different sculpts for each face so that you can have every expression and the, the all that the blend shape stuff was done by our friend Chris Boschatnik, which we've actually never met in person. He's up in Vancouver, and he just loved the project early on, and he jumped in to help us. And he was the third amigo in the visual effects department. He was like the third guy that that really helped us a lot. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Did he find you guys uh, when you guys started to do your Kickstarter? It was after the Kickstarter. It's uh, I actually am not really sure how the hell he found us. We <laughs> we got a lot of people that we started getting a lot of attention when we started posting some of the wireframes of the of the sets and everything. And yeah, he was one of the people that responded. And we, you know, it's funny because we had at a certain point we had thirty five or forty people that volunteered to help us on the visual effects side. That's a lot of people yeah. from those forty people. Uh, three people ever finished anything, one of them being Chris. So uh, a lot of people offered to help us. Maybe more than three helped us. Maybe like five actually turned in something. But the 45, 50 initial people all flaked out and they were like, ah, screw this. You know, this is – and I understand why. A lot of people want to help and then they come home from work at 8 o'clock at night. And then they're sitting on a computer for another four hours to work for free. They don't want to do it. So yeah, I get. It. Yeah, no, I I hear you. But it is a that that's a good lesson to learn because I think a lot of people are like, I don't know why people can't you know won't take me on, and I think that's why is that 
you know, you're the creator of something. You've, you're birthing this thing into the world. That's your little baby, and you don't want to. You don't want to let go. You're kind of like giving it to someone, still holding it, saying, "You got it. Are you sure you got it? Are you sure?" <laughs> you know, yeah. because people drop the ball, and they as much as you ball. don't want them to, they do. And when they drop the ball, they can go off into the sunset where your name's on the line, and you guys are aspiring to do something with it, and and. And you were able to to finish well. Good for him for for stepping up and uh, and and seeing it through. You know, um, obviously he was able to uh, to you guys finished. I mean, every project that finishes, I swear you should immediately walk up and receive your Oscar just just for yeah. finishing because uh, projects are difficult. They fight you every step of the way. They don't want to be brought into the world. They resist you, and you have to force it into existence. And so. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in in finishing. Just finishing is is such a feat. So, um, yeah, say finish that perfect. Yeah, exactly. Because basically, you just kind of run out of time. You can you can always do something. You can always tweak it. You know, you just kind of run out of time and have to t- to turn it in. I mean, what did they say? I thought I remember seeing something about Peter Jackson literally tweaking it, like you know, Lord of the Rings a few days before he's needing to deliver it. You know, for the premiere. Um, <laughs> So yeah, well, it's like they say with Snow White when when Snow White came out in the theaters, it was the biggest box office movie of all time at the time. Um, Walt Disney hated the way the prince looked, and he went back and he redid all the prince shots. So this is already the most successful movie of all time, and he's like, I hate the way the prince looks, and it was completely redone. <laughs> so you know, right. I think I think everybody sees the issues. We wanted to redo all some of the underwater shots because I, I still to this day I'm like. I could get them to look better if I had more time, but we just had to, we just had to let them go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you from a consumer, man, I mean, they, it looked freaking awesome. And then of course, seeing the BTS tapped in with, uh, the end product, seeing what it, what you all did, it was just, uh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, you guys, you guys took us on a journey, you know, you created something that isn't real, which is funny because, you know, not just the, the, the Nino, the creature, but the actual uh, story itself. And then took us on a journey. And for a moment in time, you know, you believe that this thing could be real, uh, set in this time and this age. And you do have these family, you know, this family there, and there's a lot of intrigue with it. Um, so I, I'm trying not to spoil it too much, but talk in specifics so that people will get out and, and, and see it. Um, Thanks, just, Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm a super, super huge fan. It, you know, uh, if I can, how old are you, Miguel? 36, 37, 37, 37, 37. Track, yeah. See, yeah. One snuck up on you there in the midst of film and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, again, you're one of us and it's like one of us making it. So it's so good for you, man. I, I really hope uh, great things are ahead. It sounds like they are. And we'll be, we'll be looking out for you. Um, as, as we start to wind down, uh, can you give any nuggets or insights into someone aspiring to, to, Hearing this and then getting uh, just enthused and excited about it, are there any books or training or anything online that that people could go to or something that you could recommend for someone to check out? Oh, I think like what we were talking about, behind the scenes stuff is always the stuff that I, I probably learned the most from. In particular, David Fincher's stuff. I always felt like yeah. his stuff is the most detailed and like he talks about his setups and everything. And I always appreciated that. 
Um, in terms of books, the books that were the biggest influence on me were like the early ILM books. Those blew my mind. In terms of story, I think like uh, I like Save the Cat. I know some people don't like it, but I actually think it's it's a great book. The Writer's Journey is a great book. And in terms of setting up shots, I really like this book uh, by Design Studio Press called Framed Ink. Hmm. And it's actually a book about comic book drawing, you know, setting up shots for comic books. And yeah. this guy is a storyboard artist. I think he's at DreamWorks right now. He's absolutely phenomenal. He has a French name that I know I'll mess up if I try to pronounce <laughs> it. So just look up the book. It's called Framed Ink Design Studio Press. And that book is really amazing. So those are the books, uh, that I think really, uh, influenced me. Yeah, no, those are great, great resources. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the writer's journey and, uh, save the cat. I, you know, I think there's stuff to glean from. And once you get into the story, hopefully the story will start to take you on a journey as, as the writer, you know, you're kind of setting the framework and then getting pulled along into, into it. Um, where can people find you and support what you're doing now? The best, the best way is, uh, is on Facebook. If you follow the Nino page, um, that's mm-hmm. always the best one. You can follow us on Vimeo. We're also on Twitter as monster sculptor and Instagram as monster sculptor as well. Um, that's probably the best way. And you know, if you ever have questions or whatever, anybody just, I usually reply to everything I get. So just, uh, yeah, feel free to message me on Facebook anytime. Yeah, hopefully your uh, your schedule will be getting busy here as you guys start to go into, into development. Uh, is there anything that I have missed that uh, you're thinking of yourself out there, you know, 20 years old, thinking about moving to L.A., possibly getting into storytelling? Is there anything that I might have missed, that uh, a nugget that might be able to, to glean before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny, like while we were in the middle of the hell that became the Nino, I found an old magazine, like a 3D World magazine about the green, and they're talking about the green ruby pumpkin, and they asked for advice, the same thing that you're asking me now. And advice number one that I said was, don't bite off more than you can chew, keep it simple. And here I was in the middle of the (laughs) Nino, three years in, about to you know, jump out the window, no money in the bank, everything. It feels like hell. And I'm like, Oh my God, I should have taken my own advice. <laughs> I think you really, we, I think it's really important to initially keep stuff simple. Don't be so over ambitious that you end up not finishing something. Uh, if you don't know how to do visual effects, don't do a short that has a ton of visual effects. Don't say, oh, I have a friend that does visual effects. He'll help me. He probably won't. Mm-hmm. Or if he does, he's not going to help you enough to finish your 100 shots. So be really realistic about what you do. And that goes back to what you were asking about visual effects versus uh, uh, CGI, which one, practical or digital. If we'd have been bakers, we would have made a movie with bread. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. use what you got. Yeah. We did a bunch of monsters because that's what we do. But don't just stick a bunch of monsters in if you can't follow through with them because you're just going to not finish it. So I would, if I could say one thing, I think that's the biggest thing. Keep it simple. Use what you got and don't bite off more than you can chew because it's important to finish it. 
Yeah, outstanding. No, that's that's a great word to kind of end on. Well, uh, it's it's been just over an hour, Miguel. I so appreciate your time. Super excited about what's what's ahead and the stories that uh, yourself and Tran will be able to to put out. We'll be rooting for you for sure. For all the film troopers out there, make sure that you all keep your head down, continue strong, and get your story told. Until then, we will see you guys online. Thanks again, Miguel. Cool, Ben. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Trooper, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs.